Bueller, Bueller. The Mets bats continue to not show up to class as they are last in MLB in runs scored per game following a series split against the Phillies. We'll discuss the four-game split at City, the struggling bats, and Brandon Nimmo's long-awaited return. And our special guest this week spent nearly his entire nine-year MLB career with the Mets. It's the Southpaw, Jonathan Neese. Plus, we hear a voicemail from Jake's parents. It's all next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, former Mets pitcher, Nelson Figueroa. Give, give us a follow on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio and at Figgy NY. Email us, amazingbuttruepod at gmail.com. Rate us, review us, five stars and Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support. Later in the show, we're excited to chat with the man, the myth, the legend, John Neese, the lefty, will join us. But Figgy, a series split at City, and you know, you, you'll you take it. But the, the continuing theme with this team is, oh, the bats are going to show up. Well, they got McNeil back, they got Conforto back, and now they'll get Brandon Nimmo back on Tuesday against the Braves before they have their one-game makeup, the COVID makeup Monday against the Nats. But 4-2, 3-2, 2-1, 2-1. You could put it on a couple of defensive plays, a couple of, you know, missed pitches here and there. In the grand scheme of things, Figgy, the team's got to start hitting. And we can't say, oh, we got to wait for this guy. We got to wait for this guy. There's enough bats in there that they need to be scoring more than last in baseball per game. Yeah, and everybody thought the answer was going to be Hugh Quattlebaum. That wasn't the answer. Uh, we, we're not seeing a lot of things that have changed. Even when they were winning, I kept pointing out that they were still batting somewhere in the 219, 220 range. That's not going to be enough to compete with the bigger teams. It's not going to be enough to compete with the teams that are leading in other divisions. I mean, their pitching has been so good. This year would be an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster if it wasn't for the pitching. And the pitching has been hurt. Up and down, starters have gone out. Starters are going to have Tommy John. Relievers have dropped like flies left, right, and center. And yet somehow this team has found ways to band together and continue to win ball games. We kept saying, I can't wait for the regulars to get back. The regulars are back, but I'm still not seeing almost like a team element of baseball. Putting the ball in play, moving guys over. It's a lot of one-on-one matchups with the pitcher and really one-on-four matchups with the three guys on one side of the infield and hitting into the shift over and over again. It's just repetitive to watch. It's very difficult at times. And it's not that I still don't think that this team has uh, what it takes to win, but it's got to be better than one guy each night having a good game and then the rest of the guys not coming up clutch in big situations with runners in scoring position. Yeah, you know, Conforto was clutch in terms of getting the sack fly on Saturday and, and Figgy was the biggest crowd of the season at City. Jacob deGrom wasn't even vintage Jacob deGrom, but they backed him up. They came back against Hector Neris, who was all over the place. They came back in the first game of the doubleheader Friday against, uh, you know, the, the guy that everybody hates, the clown show, who he'll be uh, Voldemort on today's show. He will, he will go unnamed. And his error was key on Friday and getting the Mets back. So you saw a couple of clutch moments, but you also saw those moments where you left so many guys on with less than two outs and a runner at third. And, you know, I always say how much I love the bunt. Well, there's something about bunting I love, but 
Why not even try it? When your offense is going so poorly, why not play small ball and try getting guys over? And the Mets are just so bad at, at you know moving the chains and moving guys over. Jeff McNeil, you saw him vent his frustrations a lot over the weekend. He's a guy that, you know, the model kind of guy that does choke up with two strikes, that does change his approach uh, when he has two strikes. But I don't know if you're not, you're not seeing enough small ball, Figgy, from Luis Rojas. He's not really calling for bunts, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's more on the hitters. Maybe the hitters are just, you know, as we've said all year, swinging from their asses, swinging from their rear ends. But I'd like to see a little more small ball and see them get home, these guys. And they didn't do it in game two where they lost 2-1 to one Friday and they probably should have won that game. Just too many guys left on base. It's it's hard to watch at times. I'm telling you right now, nobody cares about bunts because there's no exit velocity involved with bunts. There's no launch angle to bunts. The bunt thing is, is, a, is an art form and guys don't work at it. Even the guys that are in the big leagues and have been in the big leagues for quite some time, you go through your customary, just really mundane, all right, get two bunts down. Down and then start to hitting every day in batting practice. So it's not something that they take serious even. And in this day and age with these big shifts, if you want to hit for an average, it makes you feel good to hit for an average. There's a way to hit for an average. You get a little bunt base hit here and now all of a sudden you're playing with house money because now you can go one for three and now it's a two for four day. Even if you went 0 for three, you're still batting 250. I would take a 250 hitter on this club right now. I would rightfully take a 250 hitter on this club right now because that means he has put the ball in play enough times and been on base and given this team opportunity to maybe, maybe clog up the bases. They've been getting runs on wild pitches and walks with bases loaded. So it has not been very fun to watch. It was a tight series all weekend with Philadelphia, and yet they're still on top. So that's the good part. Things are still not clicking on the whole. When you see the pitching staff still pitching lights out, DeGrom gives up two runs, and you're like, he's broken. He's terrible. He's no longer the same guy. The 31 inning score of the streak ends, but I got to give credit to Oswald. His last two outings, he's been really, really good, and he's been what they needed, a bridge, a guy who can just eat up some innings, a guy who can just go out there and don't have to wow me. You don't have to blow everybody away and, and strike you're out already 10 in the, the row. Mush. You're, the mu- you're the mush for Oswald right now. You know he's going to get rocked the next time. Every three times out there, he will get imploded on one. So mush him now, Figgy, but just know he's going to suck soon. Uh, well, Yancey Diaz, it was absolutely hilarious. Yancey Diaz gets out of that jam, bases loaded, nobody out, and Twitter went ablaze. The Mets po- posted it, SNY posted it, and then the next inning, the three-run bomb happened, and you're like, oh, same guy. Pretty much the story of the Mets thus far this season, and and yet, here they are. They're still on top. I, I just got to see this this offense clicking. I got to see these guys putting together three, four, five hits in an inning. That's exciting baseball to see a rally go and a gap, a bases loaded, a guy hits a double down the line, all those different things. We kept seeing so many almost chances. Pilar has been fantastic, hitting the ball the other way with power. That's not easy to do. That's not easy to do midseason where he says, I'm going to change my approach. I'm going to stop trying to pull the ball. And he's hitting the ball the other way with power. He's going out there with the face mask on and making diving plays. We talked about him being an inspirational leader and the way he plays and the way he plays this game hard, leading by example. I have to see more of that. Jeff McNeil right now, he has cursed up a storm and has way more curses than he has balls put in play. That's been his problem. He's almost overly frustrated with every at-bat because he feels he missed 
at least three pitches that he fouls straight back. And then the one that he does put in play, he's not putting it in play with enough on it to get through the shift and whatnot. I, I just remember McNeil being a, a hitter that can go line to line. And I don't see that guy. I see the guy that's still caught in between. You know what? I can hit 19 home runs because I have pull power and I'm going to jump on the first pitch strike I see. And then I see the guy still trying to do that where the two strike approach is needed, where he had the ability to, to manipulate the barrel and hit the ball all over the strike zone. He has not clicked as of yet. And yet you have finally we're starting to see Francisco Lindor, you know, having these two hit games, three hit games, and they're starting to rack up. And yet his average is still 220. I don't get it's the weirdest year of baseball for me because there are some real good players there's some real good hitters. And you look at their averages and it's just not the same. And it's not a shame. It's, it's a disgrace right now to how well this team has played defensively, pitching, and you sit there with the hitters and you're dead last in run scored in MLB. That's really a shame. Yeah, the Mets are last in MLB in run scored. Jeff McNeil, uh, actually Elias just called me, leads the league in curses per game. He is out swearing <laughs> all of Major League Baseball. So he does have that going for him. And you know, you mentioned Kevin Pillar and you know, Brandon Nimmo comes back Tuesday and Pillar is forced into the role that he originally was, and that's fourth outfielder. And you're thinking to yourself, God, this Guy literally has been Superman. And I think they said on the broadcast on Sunday that he had two home runs. The opposite feels his entire career. So out of nowhere, he hit that game-time clutch homer. Saturday hits the garbage time. A Lucas Duda special on Sunday that you know got them kind of back in the game, but no one else could do anything. You know, they got some help from the Phillies. This, you know, this is they throw the game tape away. You don't want to watch anything. You had the Travis, the Blanken Horde roller to first where they they pinch it for Peraza, and you're thinking, why? He's a better hitter than Blanken Horn. I know the lefty versus righty. You know, the Hoskins misplay that set up the rally Saturday. City Field absolutely rocking. Shout out to the Mets fans that did show up. Uh, energy was incredible, and Saturday was Friday's doubleheader was twenty nine thousand. The kids are out of school, Figgy, and, and they're coming to the ballpark. They're coming out and they're showing the Mets some love. Uh, you might have saw Figgy's Figgy's face on my T shirt is getting more time than actual Figgy at the ballpark this season. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> Every pitch, everyone could see your face and mine on Friday. I got to say, I was kind of pissed because they did have they called it a chicken parm grinder, and it took me back to my Connecticut days. Uh, down in Clover Club, and I said, oh, I'll get it later. It was gone. I missed out on a free chicken parm grinder opportunity, but have no fear. I did have the Polar Burger slider. I did have the Fuku chicken finger slider. Um, I did have meatballs. Um, <laughs> I did have cookies. I had popcorn. Jesus. I had diabetes Friday night after the game. I was diagnosed after the game. And on that front, Figgy, uh, all the food I was talking about went on with salicata. I ripped you a little saying, uh, you know, for a guy who wasn't a great pitcher, but followed it up by saying one of the best analysts in the game. And my parents heard this segment, Figgy. And let me just say this. They were not happy how much I talked about food and, uh, you know, the high BMI. Listen what Noel and Bob Brown had to say. Hey, Jake, it's mom and dad. We listened to your time on uh, the fan with Sal pretty entertaining. How come Daddy got in the show and I didn't get mentioned in the show? You really need to, you know, get that weight down because it's a real thing, BMI. So, uh, and cholesterol's uh, in the family. And so living for today could be a year from now. you got to be careful. Good job on the uh, interview, but don't eat as much. Love you. Bye. <laughs> oh, my God. Good, good job on the interview, but don't eat as much. <laughs> Dude. 
<laughs> oh my god they love you hey jake yeah. they love you listen they want to see you live a long long time a long happy life you're just you're just starting to get into your prime here and i don't mean of eating your prime of your life jake you're sitting there you're all over the place you're at islander games you're at the nick games you're all over the place right now you are new york sports and that's something to be very very proud of so remember when we first got the jobs over at the post and you said they have a gym here. I didn't know Jim was the security guard because you didn't step <laughs> one foot in a gymnasium to work out. You were high fiving the security guard every day as you went in and probably gone to lunch with him several times. I think it was a sign because the the week I get full time and I had gym access. So here's what happened. So 2019, you have to be full time with benefits in order to get the access to the gym, which I think was like eight dollars a week or something. And they take it out of your check. So I went and I said I was full time. And they, they kicked me out weeks later. <laughs> they were like, we discovered you aren't full-time with benefits. And I got the email as I was like on the treadmill in the gym. So I thought they were going to come after me. I thought I thought I was going to be on the treadmill and I was going to have like the, the whatever that building's called, security come. Gyms don't have bouncers. Gyms don't have bouncers. <laughs> I thought they were going to come after. I got the email as I was like running on the treadmill. I'm like, oh boy. And I was like, I'm going to soak in this final shower before uh, it's my swan song at the gym. And then when I do get benefits, the pandemic hits and the gym closes down. It was a sign from the heavens. They're like, we don't even want you weighing Francisco Lindor's batting weight right now. We want you fat. So uh, that's the origin of the of the gym. But, uh, yeah, it's good to see that they care about that. But, anyways, back to the Mets. <laughs> mom, 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 and, mom and Dad Brown, I, I will try and take care of them. We, we're going to eat better. Once we start going into the studio and we, we get in there and we can go out for lunch and we'll, we'll figure out how to uh, make better choices, Jake. Make better choices. That's all I got to yeah, say. Well, well, the problem is I'll get the burger and I remove the lettuce and tomato and then it's just all the good stuff uh, is the issue. <laughs> I feel like lettuce and tomato ruins this. Adam Shine said cheese ruins a sandwich, and I texted him. I said, you're a lunatic. I said, the lettuce and tomato is what ruins a good burger or a good sandwich. Uh, the cheese is what makes a sandwich, but that's probably why I'm fat. Um, amazing, but true. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. The Mets, Nationals, Monday, the makeup game. We get to see Figgy's favorite pitcher, Jared Eikoff, before we get Blueberry McGill. On Tuesday, Taiwan Walker on Wednesday, DeGrom Thursday, Figgy. Unfortunately, we will not get Jacob DeGrom for the Subway Series. And it's funny you mentioned how he wasn't the same DeGrom. ESPN had the bottom of the screen. They said, DeGrom struggles, but Mets win. I'm like, struggles? His struggles are like most aces in Major League Baseball. Tell that to Garrett Cole, who got crushed on Sunday as the Yankees get their asses handed to them by the Red Sox. Please, keep handing the ass to the Yankees because I'm not trying to wear uh, Mets uh, painted nails at City Field. I can't uh, wait. And you know, if it happens, Figgy's going to tell the scoreboard people, come on over, come on over, baby. You're getting Jumbotron right there. And I want to see you pull off those great Dan moves. Don't forget don't forget the hands and everything from the uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Don't lose out on that. I'll bring the, the gloves Vogue. out for the dance moves. The, 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 the Michael Jackson gloves will come out, and I will moonwalk uh, instead. Nice. But, uh, yes, hopefully the Mets can take care of the Yankees. But, Figgy, let's see if the bats come around. You're getting Brandon Nimmo and his 430 OBP back which means he's at the top of the order drawing walks, and that, I think, is going to take some pressure off Jeff McNeil from the top spot. Hopefully helps out Lindor. You know, get a guy on base, you have a couple hit and runs. He finds the holes and gets those seeing-eye singles. 
The problem is we're seeing inconsistencies from Lindor. We're seeing a three-hit game followed by three hitless games. But enough of the booing. Unbelievable, the fan, and I mentioned this on the fan, I think I forgot to say on the show, who said he kept saying Lindor sucks, Lindor sucks, and they threw him out of the stadium. People booed him after he had the clutch hit on Friday. He got booed Saturday. I know it was a bad at-bat. I get it. But stop booing your own players, especially in a comeback situation. You're trying to win the game Saturday, and you're booing this guy. He's here 10 more years. Enough is enough with the booing that's a big reason why players don't want to play in new york it is it's it's a mental grind it's an absolute mental grind you know what it's not that you have to sugarcoat it for the players and you pay good money to see them but you know what they're human you 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 applaud them when they do well you know what i've never felt the need to want to boo somebody i always went from the the side of it as you know what i know what it's like to be on that end of it I know what it's like to fail in that situation when you're trying your hardest to come through. That's a tough thing to do. And most of the fans should know that feeling because they had that feeling at one point in Little League where they couldn't cut it anymore. But no, they feel they are entitled to just boo and to be the – you want to be the jerk in the section that sparks the boos all around you. That makes you feel good. That makes you feel like a real good fan. I want to change that kind of culture. I've always wanted to change that kind of culture to just be, it's not about painting a rosy picture. It's not, this isn't an easy game to play. This isn't an easy game to, remember, failure is a part of this game. If he was making out seven out of 10 times, we'd be singing his praises because he'd be batting 300. So, You have to take into consideration, what is this player going through? He's struggling. He knows he's struggling. It's not lack of effort. It's not that he's not trying. I would boo if it wasn't hustle involved. Guy looks like he just gave up. That's a different story. Lindor has never given up, and we've seen that from him. His defense has been stellar. He's been the first guy up at the top step trying to root on the team as they make comebacks. He has never bowed away from the spotlight even though he has struggled mightily. And all he said was he would love it if he never heard booze again. And that made all these fans be like, you know what? Now you're going to get even more booze. I don't understand that mentality. It's really a shame because if you want to be a good fan, you're going to be a good fan through thick and thin. You can't just be there, oh, he's my favorite player when he plays well. That's not how it works. And you don't want the rep of Yankee fans, because listen, this seems in first place. If you're a Yankee fan, it's different. You're mad. Your team is in fourth place right now. You're going to get the booze rained down on you. But until the Mets lose this top spot, and by the way, we talk about the offense coming around. We we also talk about the NLEs coming around. The question is, will it? I mean, the Mets have only lost a game in the standings. They're four games up right now in the Nationals, who they take on Monday before the break, they go to Atlanta for three. The division has just been bad. The division has been so brutal that they're not losing ground. I would imagine, Figgy, at some point they are if they have a bad stretch here. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that I've been watching is if you look at the National League standings, really what stands out to you, even though the East, you're not seeing tremendous baseball, it's crazy. The home records of every NL East team, 24 and 21 of the Mets, 21 and 18 of the Nationals, 20 and 20 are the Braves, 21 and 14 of the Phillies. Marlins are 18 and 18. So you got two teams that are 500 at home. The other ones are above 500 at home. And yet when you look at the away records, it's just dismal. They get away from their home ballpark and their home fans where this is what I'm saying is that you want to have a home field advantage. You want the, the team to feel 
Like, yeah, we know that they're going to get all over the other team. We know they're going to boo the other team. We know they're going to be loud as all hell for against the other team. And it feels like it's the other way around all of a sudden. And your team is still in first place. So you can help this team win. You can be a positive influence. And I, I've always talked about that. The Seattle Seahawks started that 12th man movement, and it was huge for them to change their franchise around. And they started playing winning football. The Mets are playing winning baseball. You know what? Uh, you should support that. But it's been the National League East in general. Good at home, terrible away. The Mets 16 and 22, Nationals 16 and 20, 17 and 20 for the Braves, 15 and 25, 15 and 26 for the Phillies and Marlins. So you see what the key is right now. The key is whichever team takes care of business on the road is going to find a way to creep up because everybody's pretty good at home. Home cooking is always better. But if you can find a way to win on the road and start winning series on the road, taking two out of three, that's where you're going to see a team kind of start to run away with it. Is the record, Figgy, uh, in the last 13 and road warriors and uh, take a chance on the road. The Mets took a chance on Chance Cisco, giving oh, me the opportunity is. to say, take a chance on me. I do have this new uh, V7 microphone, so it is meant for singers. A lot of singers use this microphone, so you're going to have a karaoke uh, Jake coming on soon. We're going to take requests of uh, Meet the Mets, uh, different versions of Meet the Mets. Uh, you know, when you walk past Shea, there was a... Uh, remember you walked past Shea and they had the different version of Meet the Mets. It was, um, it was oh, it was hot dogs, peanuts, all that Shea. Guaranteed to have a heck of a day, do And the music. Ended. I was on the inside. I never got to hear that on the outside. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Classic <laughs> line right there. You didn't play. I did. Oh, and, um, you know, take a chance. I mean, maybe we will see Chance Cisco. And then the song, will, oh, the walk up song comes up. I will be, you can put me on the scoreboard for that one to dance to. Mama Mia. And, you know, sh thoughts and prayers to Marcus Stroman and his family. His grandma passed away, and he won't be with the team for a couple days. He expects to be back potentially Friday against the Yankees. Unfortunately, with my bet with Sarah McCrory on the last show, the Mets might have Jared Eikhoff and uh, Blueberry McGill going Saturday and Sunday against the Yankees. So uh, they clearly want me to wear nail polish. Sometime in the coming weeks, Jacob DeGrom, though, will get three more starts. It was almost like it was, they did it purposely. They heard Amazing But True. Mm -hmm. Coming up next on Amazing But True, we are joined by a nearly a lifetime Met. Uh, that would be the Southpaw, John Neese, joining the program. Joining us now on Amazing But True is a former Mets pitcher that pitched nearly his entire career for the Metropolitans from 2008 through 2016, eight seasons before the Mets trade him to the Pirates, and then he came back to the Mets because he couldn't have enough of that New York pizza and City Field and the orange and blue. And get this, he's won 69 games, the nicest number ever in his career, in nine MLB seasons. Let's welcome in the Southpaw, John Neese. Jonathan, John, Johnny, Johnny be good tonight. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. So, John, what is the status of your career? Now, you pitched for the Ducks in 2019. You were at the Mariners AAA team. I think you played a winter ball. Obviously, 2020 was the pandemic. Are you trying to get back into the minors and, and get back pitching, or are you retired? What's your status? Not actively. Yeah, so I, re I actually didn't play for the Long Island Ducks. I was just in their spring training, and then I threw a couple bullpens for them, and then the Mariners scout saw me. They needed some help, so they signed, they signed me there. 
Um, and then after that, the Mariners released me. Figgy knows about the numbers game. I fell into that trap. But that, and then I played in the Dominican Winter League, and I pitched well, but not the body didn't feel really great. Um, I really didn't pursue going any further. And then obviously the pandemic hit. Now I'm actively just doing nothing, (laughs) being a, being a coach. (laughs) Figgy, is this going to be the retirement interview for John Neese? Like, is this, are you hanging up the cleats? Do you want to announce your official retirement on amazing, but no, 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 not officially, not officially. Keep your options open. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So everybody asks me, Hey, are you, are you retired now? And I'm like, well, not officially, you know, I might get a bug and, you know, step on the mound and maybe throw 90 again. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dial it down, bro. (laughs) Well, 86, 87. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. Whatever gets out. We know that, man. We we did it together for a long time, man. And and one of the things I always marveled at was your ability to be so consistent. And over the years, you know, you go back and you look back. You were on some of the teams. It was a trying time in Mets land. But you were one of the consistent pitchers, guy that can go out there and go six innings and give, you know, the fans something to say, hey, you know, we, we got a shot tonight when Jonathan Neese is on the mound. Now that you're towards the tail end of your career, and trust me, I went through the whole thing as well. You're telling me if the phone call came from Jay Harwitz's pocket, you know, I butt dial everybody and said, hey, what are you doing? You wouldn't fire it up, try to get back in with Syracuse? Oh, man. I guess if Jay Hoare was on, was on the phone, I would probably I would probably try. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how far I'd, I don't know how far I'd get, but that would give me the motivation to, to get going again. But then I'd realize it's a, it's a pocket dial, and then, you know, it'd kind of blow the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a pocket dialer, I guess. And he also, when he signed credentials in, in the theme of 69 wins that you had, his the J was like a big wiener, like on the credentials. He, his signature was like a dick. It was like the most bizarre thing. Uh, every time I get a credential, I was like, I love this. This is hilarious. So it's actually it was just yours, actually, Jake. Oh yeah, it's just me. Else. He was like, all right, just just for Jake, a big wiener on the signature. What what can you throw now? Like when the last time you throw, like what what's your peak uh, fastball at? Well, in the Dominican Winter League before the pandemic hit, I hit 91. I, I thought that was pretty impressive. But I, right now, if I had to, if I had to guess, I would probably hit 84 if I'm lucky. <laughs> uh, once you get going, once you get going, you'll be fine. You get right back to it. Who'd you play for in the Dominican? The Aguilas. Nice. That was one of my first teams over there. Yeah, great club, great club. Yeah, I actually saw some pictures of you over there, the stadium. Yeah, we won a championship there, and, I mean, it was star-studded cast. I had on my team, it was Tejada for Cal, uh, Encarnacion. Um, I mean, this is winter ball, and I've got uh, – Tejada had just come off winning MVP of the American League, and I'm like, this guy's playing winter ball. Why are they doing this? And they love it over there. The baseball over there is intense. Oh, yeah. Real fun. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're like a king over there. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was it was a, it was a different experience, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I think I think right now if I try, the thing is is like you know how it is. Like as soon as you stop, or like if you get hurt and like you don't pitch for a year, it takes forever to get back going again. Figgy, a picture of you and the King over. The only other place that happens is like the local bowling alley where you bowled a two ninety six a couple weeks Seven, ago. Right, ninety seven. Don't cut it shy, there, Jake. All right. <laughs> I almost had that three hundred. The coveted three hundred. What's your What's your high bowling score, John? Oh my gosh! If I if I bowled two hundred, that was I would have been lucky if I did that. But I don't bowl consistently. But if I I would probably be. I don't know. I consider myself a decent athlete. I could probably bowl 140, 150. Thank you. 
Listen, don't shortcut yourself, my friend. You are a, a very good athlete, surprisingly good athlete. Well, eight seasons <laughs> with the Mets. I mean, he had to make a lot of trips to Duffy's in March, I'd imagine, John. Oh, well, yeah. I, I usually sat in Duffy's, not the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> the other half, the bar half of Duffy's, right, uh, yeah. where it goes there down. You, go. you guys, you guys, are, you guys are making me miss that place. You see? Oh, <laughs> there it is. Good times back then. I mean, uh, you, that that was the hangout. You go to like Applebee's, the movie theater, or Duffy's. There's not many other places. <laughs> places uh to go right. down there in psl carlos beltron you and the kardashians have something in common you both had a nose job of different varieties yeah. i guess but can you take yeah. us through that story and him paying and you were going to get it for cosmetic reasons he threw you 10k take us through the surgery and that whole story well i needed the surgery because i had a deviated septum so he was like oh well i'll i'll pay for uh i'll pay for the fix your nose and i'm like i thought it was I was I thought it was a bluff, and then I called it bluff. I got it done, and he wrote the check, and I'm like, "Damn, this guy's <laughs> this guy's doing it." Yeah. <laughs> so it like started out as a joke, and then I called I called his bluff, and it, it, it got serious. And then I think Ray Ramirez scheduled the appointment, and the rest is history. Did he just I not like your done. nose? Like, why, why did he offer to like? Was he not a fan of your nose? Like, why did he offer to pay for it? I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe he wanted me to look prettier. <laughs> oh, listen, Beltran had his own things going on with the mole that he had over there that Carlos, Beltran, Carlos Delgado used to tell him, is that Bluetooth? What is that on the side of your head? You would drive him crazy with it. So, listen, we all have our flaws. I'm not even trying to hear that. But the deviated septum thing is a real thing, and it makes it tough to sleep at night. So we're talking about curveballs, right? We're talking about how the game has changed. Right at the end of your career, you started seeing some of these power arms at the Mets had in their rotation. I know for me, my whole career was, you know what, I'm topping out at 91, 92. I can throw almost any pitch, you know, and I'm able to move the ball around and change speeds. That to me was the key to pitching and being successful. You started seeing some of these young arms come up, like the Matt Harveys, the Zach Wheelers, even DeGrom right there in 14, throwing so damn hard with the hard, nasty sliders. Like, what was that for you to just kind of watch how the game evolved right there in front of your face? I yeah it was different I mean I I didn't want to change uh, you know like you like you like you said you know you had your repertoire you know what you needed to do to get out and I was the same way you know I knew that I wasn't going to be that 97 98 guy I wish I was but you know I knew what I knew what I had I knew what I had to to get out and you know I think I don't know I can't really speak for them but I they might have learned something about pitching you know, seeing guys, um, you know, that don't throw so hard, that don't rely on that, that fastball, let's face it, that velocity doesn't last forever. And then as soon as a guy's velocity declines, then they have to rely on pitching. So what makes DeGrom so good is that he throws 98 to 100 and he's a good pitcher. Like, he knows how to pitch. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of an, an eye-opener because, like you said, you know, you never seen – that many guys that threw that hard you know you could count on two hands um, when we were coming up and then now it's like you can count on you know one hand on on one team that throws that hard but you know it's kind of a culture shock but you know I didn't really it really didn't bug me because I knew what I had to do to get out and I knew I knew what I had and I didn't try and do – I wasn't trying to be those guys. Well, I mean, there's no way to try and duplicate that. I think guys like you and me, we'd run into a lot of trouble and a lot of barrels if we tried to, you know, oh, I'm going to make this cutter a little, a little harder. I'm going to be able to throw a little bit faster. We, 
spun it out of the break and left it over the middle of the plate. That's where we ran into our trouble. But I love that throughout your career, you were able to be yourself. And you evolved a little bit, right? Changing from a straight 12-6 curveball, using a cutter a little bit more, maybe throwing some change-ups in, in different situations. I think that's something you have to do as a pitcher. And listen, you were one of the top, you know, top two, top three pitchers on every rotation you were with with the Mets. I was a guy who was a fill-in, a number five at most times. So for you to have that responsibility and be like, you know what, I have to be the guy each and every time out there, that's a lot on your shoulders, especially on those thin years with the Mets, you know, through like 10, 11, 12. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that cutter, I mean, that cutter saved my career. And I'll never forget it. It was in 2008, I learned it from Ricky Bonus. He was a pitching coach, and he was a pitching coach in double A. He basically showed me the grip, and he just showed me what I needed to do at the release, you know, and he just said, you know, hey, just start playing catch with it. On flat ground, I just started playing catch with it, you know, got a really good feel for it, went into my bullpen, threw some off the, off the hill, and it was really good. So then I just started incorporating it into the games. That pitch right there is what kept the right-handed hitters honest for me. I don't I don't think I've ever really struggled too much with left, left-handed hitters, you know, being a lefty. But that cutter really kept the righties honest. And then I was able to run it in on their hands, and then I was able to backdoor it, too. So that helped out a lot. John Neese is on Amazing But True. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. You had to only go up when you gave up a home run to Ricky Weeks as your first batter ever faced. It's the first time in Mets history that's happened. After you give that up, are you like, all right, only onward and upward from here. Uh, This is, uh, I got that out of the way. Yeah, second pitch in my career. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, I'm telling you what, I'll never forget that day. My legs were jello. It's your major league debut. You don't even know how to act. You're pitching in a stadium that holds 50,000 fans. We were in a pennant race. The Brewers were in a pennant race. Miller Park was sold out. First pitch was a ball high and away. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to throw a strike. So then I was like, okay, just get a strike over the plate. (laughs) Ricky Weeks hit the bomb. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. But actually, after that home run, I actually settled down and, you know, was able to just, you know, attack hitters. I forget what my final line was, but I don't know if I got through five, but it felt like it was an eternity, that game. Another interesting story from your career, John, is you pitched three innings in a game, and then you went to the clubhouse and FaceTimed your wife to watch her give birth to your son. Can you take us through that whole experience and how all that went down mid-game? Oh, man. So, yeah, so I was supposed to pitch, and my wife texted me, and she goes, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling weird. You know, I'm just going to go to the doctors. I I think I'm fine. I don't know if he came early. We had, uh, I don't know, maybe a week left for his due date. and That whole time I was kind of preparing on, you know, kind of my exit strategy on getting back home. She basically said, you know, listen, I'm fine. You know, the doctors said he's not going to come for a while. Next thing I know. So I start the game. You know, she says, just start the game and then you can fly home. And then the doctor said he probably won't come until probably tomorrow. So I start the game. First inning. I don't know what the heck I did. I don't know if I got through the first inning. Anyway, come in the dugout. Chick, our assistant trainer, says, your wife's in labor. And I go, what? I go down in the tunnel. I'm pissed off. I'm throwing everywhere. So then I go back in the or I go back in the dugout and I go back out to pit. I don't know. I might have given up four home runs in that game, but I it just I just my head wasn't in it. So then I get in the back in the dugout. Terry, the manager, 
comes up to me and says, you're done, go home, go see your wife, enjoy the baby. I went in, because at this point, I thought she already had him. So I, I get on my phone, my wife's cousin, I, I called my wife thinking that she already had the baby. And then my wife's cousin answers the phone. And all I could hear was screaming because Kate came so fast that she didn't, she wasn't able to get the epidural. So she delivered him naturally. So all I heard was screaming and I'm like, what in the hell is going on? And her cousin just said, she's in labor right now. She's, the baby's coming. And I'm like, FaceTime me right now. But you remember the uh, the hot tub room yeah. in the clubhouse, right? Mm-hmm. I go back in the hot tub room and it this that room echoes. So I'm on FaceTime oh and she's and and I'm and I'm watching the birth and she's screaming. Next thing I know, Harvey Degrom and all the other starters were like peeking around the corner, and then she delivered and it was all done. And, and I walked out. I was like. Lord, like what just what the hell just happened? And I, all I can remember is like the ground was like, dude, is she okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, she just had the baby, and then it was just, it was crazy. So then I I got a private private jet home, got to see the baby, and that was pretty much it. Figgy, he he's excused for that start. I just looked up the game: three innings, eight hits, six earned runs. Turner homered, Puig homered, and it was also Michael Conforto's debut that day. Uh, in 2015. Oh my God. Uh, a lot, that's a lot. That's a yeah, lot to be the bearer of right there. And a new baby and your wife yeah, hating I, you officially. She officially hated you starting that day. No, no. She was actually really cool about it, to be honest with you. I think she was more concerned about not having the epidural. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> then, then but it's still missing. all your fault. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. But she, but she was really cool about it. As soon as Chick told me that she was in labor, I was so pissed. I was I mean, I literally, I did everything but put holes in the wall down in that tunnel. <laughs> I was, because I, I was pissed. I was, gonna, I was gonna miss the birth of my son. You know, you know, it is what it is. Like you said, you know, I'm, I'm just glad. You know, with modern technology, I was able to see, I was able to see him born, and it is what it is. Figgy, was your daughter born while you were pitching, or was it in the off season? Well, she's a January baby, so it was off season. What was crazy with her was she was supposed to be born sometime in February and we were looking at spring training like oh my god we're gonna have to maybe induce before I had the spring training and she came early so she was a, a pleasant surprise because not only that we didn't want to know the sex of the baby so I had no idea what I was having came two weeks early and panicked almost a month actually almost a month early we were going to induce two weeks early just so I could see her be born before I went to spring training because there's no way that I could have been like, hey, hi, guys, I'm going to take off. I'm trying to make the club, but I'm going to wait to you know, have my baby first. That was so frowned upon when I was coming up that there was no shot of me even trying to suggest that. So I was like, all right, well, what do we have to do? We're going to induce early. And then she wound up coming two weeks earlier than that date. Yeah, man, that's life changing. And I think that's another thing that we bonded over. Uh, a lot of players bond over is the birth of their children and how you go from being a boy playing a man's game and all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, you know, now I'm a father. Everything has changed. And here I am like a little boy still wanting to play baseball and still wanting to chase my dreams and make sure I do that. But now you all of a sudden you have a family to provide for. It's a big moment in every guy's life. I'm enjoying my family now. Me trying to get the thought of me getting back on the mound and, you know, kind of leaving my family again. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Even if Wally Backman and the Ducks gave you a call and you could come back to New York and come to Strong Island and uh, play for Wally. <laughs> you know, I actually called him the other day about one of my buddies to play to 
play for him, but um, he was because he I called him and he goes, "Oh my God, John, are you are, do you want to you want to play? You, you want to play? You want to coach?" What, what? He he thought I was calling him to to see if I wanted to pitch again, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean Wally's a great guy, man. He was he was actually a lot of the reason how I got signed with the Mariners. So his connections are great. And, well, it seems like he'll take know. you. He'll take you right now, John. So get the contract. You know, Ian Kinsler and Danny Valencia are playing there. So why not add John Knees as well? Yeah, trust me. You would, even if I'm throwing any crew up now. Knees, what's your biggest thrill in a mitt uniform? I want to say pitching in the World Series, but, you know, we didn't win the World Series, so that wasn't really a thrill i would say i mean that was a thrill but it would have been a lot better if we were won. i don't know when we won the nl east in 2015 when we were in cincinnati celebrating that was like the first first time you pop champagne it was like because then after you know as you go in the playoffs you kind of get used to popping champagne you know it kind of makes you want to win some more but that that initial celebration when we won the east in, in cincinnati was probably one of the most exciting moments in my Mets career. Yeah, and you, you talk about celebrating 2015. You had an interesting journey because you start, you know, your your Figgies teammate 2008, and you guys had the big collapse in 2008. Shea Stadium closes. 2009, you know, the new stadium happens. City Fields, it's the Grand Canyon and, you know, Pitcher's Ballpark. And then you end it with going to the World Series. And in 2016, the team, you know, makes the playoffs, loses that one-game playoff. But – from a collapse, John, to that special team, last one before we let you go, take us through that 2015 season because that team was a ragtag bunch in the first half where you had Eric Campbell and the likes of John Mayberry Jr. hitting cleanup at one point. Um, and then they become this you know elite team that goes to the World Series. First is how special was that 2015 team? I, I tell you what, that, that was probably the, the biggest evolution of a team that I've ever seen in my career. Um, like you said, you know, this, at the start of that career, everybody, if, if you said, you know, that we we're going to be in the World Series in spring training of that year, everybody would have laughed at you. But I'll never forget because we had um, Kadire that year. And I'll never forget in spring training, we kind of had a team meeting before we before we broke camp. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, him saying, you know, don't be so don't be shocked if we make the playoffs this year and don't be shocked if we make a playoff run. We have a really good team, and he knew it. He saw it, and I think everybody saw it. The camaraderie on that team was just second to none. I mean, we everybody got along. That's something that, you know, you don't see too often. You know, you get your clicks here and there around the clubhouse. With that team, like, everybody talked to everybody, and everybody got along. You know, that that's something that I noticed. And then the pitching, the pitching that year just got better and better and better and better. Matt. Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Bartolo. We were deep, to say the least. So deep that, you know, I was kind of forced to the bullpen in the playoffs. Kind of a hard pill to swallow, but, you know, I, you know, accepted that role. I'm the kind of guy where, you know, anything that I can do to help the team, I'm going to, I'm going to do. And then, you know, that team, you know, with the hitting, I mean, the hitting evolved unbelievable. I mean, you get, you had Duda that year have a breakout year in the playoffs, Murphy. Went on an unbelievable run. Davis kind of got halfway healthy with his back and, and did really well in the playoffs. I mean, we had a, a really 
we had a solid club that year. And it went from people laughing at us in the beginning of the year, to, and we kept evolving and got better and better and better. The talent level was there, and I think biggest reason that we went on that run was was the camaraderie and the you know everybody got along on the team and then what about DeGrom you know from where he was then to what he is now and and you watching him from afar now and watching him you know from the clubhouse then what have you seen DeGrom and I we always got along him and I you know even outside the field we always you know hung out went to dinner but he was never really bad like he came to the big leagues and he was he was good I mean he He's one of them guys where, you know, like I tell everybody, he's just that natural, gifted athlete. Like, he could play football and be a great wide receiver. He could be a basketball player and dunk over guys. I mean, any sport he plays, you know, he's such a good athlete that he would excel at. You know, with baseball, you know, like I said before, his mechanics are, are perfect in my opinion. He throws 98 to 100, and he knows how to pitch. Mixes his pitches well. He puts the ball where he wants to. I mean, you get a lot of guys that throw 98 to 100 don't know where the heck the ball's going. You know, he actually knows where the ball's going, works works the zone well. You know, he's one of them guys where he's throwing 98 to 100, and you think, well, when's his decline? Because, you know, everybody that throws 98 to 100, you're like, they decline at some point. And there's like no signs of him declining right now. So that's what I'm most impressed about. Did Figgy ever lay down lay down a smelly fart? You ever have to carry him from a bar? Any anything what? in your two seated? With, 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 any oh fun? man, you're, you're trying you're trying to get some dirt on him. Huh? What? <laughs> no. Where's this coming from? Hey. What a shot in the dark right hey, there, hey, Jake. Figgy. <laughs> Hey, F- hey, Figgy, even if I had some dirt on you, you're my boy. I would never ah, you, That's how we roll, Jake. You see how it works? That's that right. See, Jake, Jake, like Jake, is a, Jake is a young, is a young buck. Jake would post it all on Instagram right away when it happened. Oh, stop it. No. <laughs> right. uh, you know, people oh, like yeah. stories. I thought there might be one good story. Figgy, we've heard you was take the him tech to the grave, guy. Baby. Like, he would help people with tech. But. Yep, absolutely. If you ever had issues with an iPad or computer or laptop, you always brought it to Figgy locker figgy nelson the geek squad figueroa is in the building and now he's mr android he doesn't even use an iphone unbelievable he's a he's a swiss army knife he's a swiss army knife on the mountain and he's a swiss army knife off the mountain that's my boy. There you go, Figgy. Figgy's going to uh, go brush some dirt off his shoulder uh, right now. Sean Neese, <laughs> pitched from the Mets from 2008 through 2016, had a great run. And, you know, maybe we will see you on the Ducks this summer. Who knows? Wally Backman, oh, he'll man. throw in a six-pack of beers along with the contract, and maybe we'll see you, Ian Kinsler, and Danny Valencia in uh, East Islip. We hope to see you out there again. And if not, you know, you went out with 69 wins. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, John Neese, appreciate you coming on Amazing But True, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. That'll say au revoir to episode 64, the Yenzi Diaz edition. Yes, of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Munguia, for producing the show. Show your boy some love on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday as we look ahead to part one of the Subway Series against those damn Yankees. Thanks for listening to Amazing But True. Enjoy the games this week. We'll talk to you Thursday.